I'd like to buy the world some coke. I'm Torn Atkinson. Smoke cocaine with a prostitute and you'll go to jail. Unless you're a billionaire. I'm Joe Fulgham. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Other times, it's like being dipped in sex. I'm Dr. Rob Tarswell. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda. Podcast about gross things. Don't forget about cocaine. <laughs> we might owe somebody some money for that. Careful. You're heading towards SOPA. <laughs> this podcast don't lie. Uh, yeah, we're going to deal with a very commonly used drug around the world. One of the more widespread narcotics. Number two in the States, right? I think so. Behind, alcohol? behind marijuana. Oh. Yeah, we're not talking alcohol. The old the white powder, the blow, the snow. Oh, the big C? <laughs> the big C? Bolivia marching powder? Oh. California cornflakes? <laughs> Florida snow? Nose candy? Serpico 21? Peruvian lady? <laughs> Foo-foo dust? The king's habit? The, the 7% <laughs> solution? <laughs> <laughs> I like all of those. And then uh, if you go to crack cocaine. Oh, yeah. Rock. Uh, okay. Like, but not like, you rock! Yes, oh, okay. like you rock. Well, like, give me that rock or I'm going to shiv you. Yeah. Electric Kool-Aid, Mighty White, Gravel, Ice Cube, mm. Jelly Beans. Okay, I protest to Jelly Beans. <laughs> jelly Beans? Listen, drug users and dealers, stay away from the kitty things. <laughs> yeah. Or don't just, just don't ruin Jelly Beans for everybody else. Yeah. Jelly Beans isn't just for kids. I will attest to that. I, I, not just for kids. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> The word origin for cocaine is a uh, from coca, which is the leaf mm-hmm. that you actually derive the alkaloid cocaine from. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to the suffix line "een," forming cocaine. No what does "een" mean, though? It's just a it's a um, alkaloid suffix. So the German chemist that actually uh, discovered it or synthesized it, purified synthesized it, synthesized it. Oh, who is that? I think it's Dr. Rob. He does sound familiar. <laughs> Dr. Doc Rob, Tar- Rob Tarswell, pelted by gamma rays, turns into the Hulk. <laughs> welcome back, Dr. Rob. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for the theme song. You're We've, welcome. You can use that. Do you have anything to say about this uh, alkaloid suffix, in? Uh Not specifically about the suffix, but uh, certainly I'll have a lot to say about um, cocaine and its effects on humans, mm. directly and indirectly. They're, they're all good, right? Every last one. I mean, okay. why would so many people do it if it wasn't good for you? Exactly. The phobia for drugs or medicine or becoming a drug addict. Pharmacophobia. Oh. What if you don't get it from a pharmacy? <laughs> yeah, that it's a street cophobia? Yeah. Yeah. Pusher cophobia. Cocaine in its purest form is a white pearly product. It appears in powder form as a salt, typically cocaine hydrochloride. Street market cocaine is frequently adulterated or cut with various powdery fillers to increase its weight and profit. Baking soda. Baking soda, sugars such as lactose, dextrose, inositol, and mannitol, as well as local anesthetics like lidocaine and orbenzocaine. 
And laxative. Oh, and baby laxatives. Yeah. For all that, you know, having to run for the toilet when you do cocaine laced with baby laxative. Go to slide. Go to slide. <laughs> Crack cocaine is a freebase version of powder cocaine. So right. does that mean freebase? Yeah, it's... I can tell you exactly what that means. Lay it on me. Powder cocaine can be purified by using baking soda and water and heat, usually a microwave, or sudsy ammonia and heat. Sudsy ammonia. Oh, he was one of the little rascals. Sudsy ammonia. Uh, usually on a stovetop. <laughs> Come this, on, Sudsy. We got to put on a show. <laughs> this is considered freebasing. <laughs> this purifies the powdered cocaine and melts it into the pure drug and allows the impurities such as the filler slash laxative to be removed entirely. Yeah, there's all sorts of like kooky things that they put in cocaine to like process it and like extract it from the coca leaf and all the rest of that stuff. Like there was a National Geographic documentary I saw like, over the Christmas holidays and they they have an entire series on drugs. I think it's called Drugs Inc. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And every hour long episode is they do deal with an individual drug and they talk about all of it and, mm -hmm. you know, forms and, you Are know. Are you thinking uh, of Hooked? No. Because oh, I watched a bit of that. Okay. I mean, they probably deal with a lot of the same things, yeah. but there's like, they do all sorts of things. Like there's kerosene and all sorts of other industrial grade chemicals that are involved in the extraction process. Makes you look at it and go, why would anyone want to stick that in their nose again? Or vein or however your delivery system is. Mm -hmm. Well, there are a number of methods of delivery of cocaine. Number way you, ways you can get it into your body. Number yeah. one. Uh, number one is oral. Uh, you can, you could wrap up some cocaine in rolling paper and swallow or parachute it. Uh, hmm. This is sometimes referred to as a snow bomb. I don't think it's the most effective so method pleasant and delightful, doesn't it? <laughs> it probably snow takes bomb. longer than, than the other methods, right? Yeah, because I would it's going to go through your, through your have, digestive system. You need system gastric and, absorption. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, the number two and probably most common method. S snorting? Would be, yeah, snorting, sniffing, or blowing, where you use a uh, rolled up banknote, hollowed out pen, uh, cut straw, uh, uh, the pointed end of a key, a specialized spoon, a long fingernail, or a, and they put in quotes, clean tampon applicator to inhale it through your nose and it gets absorbed through your nasal mucus. Or if you've got a giant pile, you can just shove your face in. <laughs> like that? in the movie Scarface. What was that about a pointed end of a key? Well, like, I think you would just scoop it up and then kind of like... <laughs> As opposed to right. the... As opposed to the long fingernail area. or... Yeah. yeah. It's often typically poured onto a flat, hard surface like a mirror or a CD case or a book. And if Hollywood has taught us anything, mm -hmm. mirror is the preferred, you know, method of delivery. Yeah, it's got, probably because it's got that smooth, smooth surface, so you're not going to lose a single little crystal, right? Yeah, yeah. When you, yeah, I guess you can see it; it stands yeah. out, right? And if I've learned anything from the movies, you lick that mirror when you're done. <laughs> you don't want to do it on like a white dry erase board because then you'll never yeah. you'll, you'll miss all the good stuff. <laughs> The drug is then divided into bumps or lines or rails and then insufflated. That's a technical term, right, Dr. Rob? Insufflate? I inhaled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the average time taken to reach peak subjective effect using this method was 14.6 minutes, mm -hmm. according to a single study. So from uh, the time you snort it to the time you feel its effect is about 15 minutes. So Hollywood totally has lied to us then because every single, because I didn't know this at all. Yeah. Every single scene that you see in movies, people go and then instantly go, oh yeah, man, this is the good stuff. Well, in Hollywood's defense, you don't want to sit there for 15 minutes watching some dude go, I don't feel anything yet. I totally. don't feel anything yet. Oh yeah. 
But you would think there'd be one movie somewhere where people <laughs> snort snort it and go, all right, let's go. This should hit by the time we're at the club or something like that. Right, maybe. To yeah. let idiots like me who, well, not idiots, I've chosen not to do it. I don't think I'm an idiot, but <laughs> to let people like me know, hey, it takes a little while. I just like to give a shout out to the altruistic volunteer research subjects who signed up for that experiment. Thank <laughs> yes, you. Absolutely. Humanity thanks you. Uh, the third method of delivery is injection. Uh, I think we've all seen a lot of this in movies as well. Although most of, I think, the, probably the IV drug use we see in movies is heroin. Heroin, yeah. But uh, uh, injected cocaine is actually a really big problem in the downtown east side. Oh. When I worked in my government job, they um, uh, that was... As an assassin? <laughs> we don't talk about it on yeah, the podcast. I, I wanna, I'll have to, I'd have to kill you otherwise. But injected cocaine was actually a much bigger problem than injected heroin because injected cocaine, the high wouldn't last as long. So they would do it like... 10 times as much during the course of a day. So it would have, you know, get greater chance of infection, greater chance of disease uh, being transmitted between users and all the rest of that stuff because mm-hmm. you are constantly shooting up, whereas in heroin, you shoot up less frequently. Right. Oh, I see. And you get lots of uh, medical effects from the adulterants within the cocaine. So What's you, an adulterant? Those would be the things you add to the cocaine to okay. make it look like there's more of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Uh, talc is a frequently used um, material, and that ends up in your lungs, and that's called talcosis. Oh, nice. And you can see it on CT scans, and nice. it starts to set up a chronic inflammatory reaction. The adulterants or skin bugs uh, can end up on your heart valve. I saw, skin I saw, bugs? Yeah, I heard about this. I saw this in a CBC documentary. Can you go into greater detail on that? Because it is horrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that there's basically, as you can imagine, uh, folks who inject drugs and alleys aren't meticulous about their technique, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> they may not the use alcohol and, swabs. And, yeah. right. uh, and they may put skin bugs into what their... What is a skin bug? Well, is those would be normal bacteria? bacteria that live on your skin. Right. So certain types of Staphylococcus, Streptococcus, that don't belong inside, mm-hmm. which is why you have this skin. But then it gets inside and finds your heart valves and says, hey, this looks pretty good. And and, it's got a nice patio. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And Some put it in the veranda. So you end up uh, with what, what we call vegetations or patches of bacteria growing on your heart valves. And bacteria are hungry and always growing. So the heart valves are actually a wonderful food source for them. <laughs> so they start eating uh, through your valves. Nice. You've got hot and warm flowing blood right there. To oh, it's brilliant. Feed you everything you need. There's also another quality that, um, and I don't know what the cause of this is. Maybe you can comment to this, Dr. Rob, but... There's a, a trait that frequent long-term users have, and they call it coke bugs, and they feel like there are insects crawling under their skin, and they will scratch at them and literally scratch away their flesh and muscle, like sometimes all the way to the bone. Yeah, the fancy Latin term is formications for the, for, for the feeling of insects crawling on or under the skin. And you'll see folks with these little sores, and they pick at the skin, and that's a, a, a pretty reliable sign of a cocaine user or a crystal meth user. I saw the CBC documentary where this woman had had scratched on her forearm all the way through the skin and the muscle, all the way through the, to the bone, and her you could actually see her forearm bone exposed oh, to like the air. My bone is itchy. She should, she should have just used crocodile. <laughs> yeah. A common side effect of injecting cocaine is a ringing in the ears moments after injection. Oh, interesting. Uh, lasting two to five minutes includes tinnitus and audio distortion. This is colloquially referred to as a bell ringer. Average time taken to reach peak subjective effect from this method was 3.1 minutes. So you shaved off 12 minutes of yeah. time to get high. So, But according to my the information I received, mm-hmm. which I can get into in a second uh-huh. with the sources, 
uh, but it lasts the high lasts much longer than f- even freebasing. We're talking right. about mainlining here. Yes. So the peak may be reached earlier, but the general feeling of being high lasts about a half an hour. So it's win-win then. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's why people do the IV drug-using thing. Okay. I mean, you can shave off that 12 minutes you got to wait before you get high, and it lasts like 10 minutes longer. So, listeners, <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> the fourth method is inhalation, and that's smoking freebaser crack. Uh, and it's most often accomplished using a pipe made from a small glass tube. And peak high was found at a mean of 1.4 minutes, plus or minus 0.5 minutes. Now, this is different than mixing it with like a cigarette? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That was uh, th- That is just sprinkling powder cocaine on a cigarette. You do get like an additional effect. But this uh, this smoking crack, this is why this is the instantaneous hit that you were talking about right. seeing in movies. That you you get it anywhere from point nine to one point nine minutes. You get peak effect. Yeah, I've read some some first person descriptions from ex crack addicts on the internet, and they've talked about just how fast the effect hits them, yeah. how fast it leaves them, how much they want it again, yeah. almost immediately, and just how their lives have fallen apart because of it. Let's do your fifth. And the fifth method of delivery was is through suppository, anal or vaginal. Okay. Method of administration, also now, known colloquially as plugging. Do you just take the powder and shove it in there, or what's the method of delivery? You dissolve it in water. Yeah. And then you can syringe it up there. That's right. Oh, right. I think the critical part of this is that you absorb it through your mucous membranes. Like, mm-hmm. that's why you do it through the nose, or that's why you go straight into your bloodstream. And there's large mucus, mucous membranes in your vaginal and yep. anal walls. Right? And your rectum. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's why this. So once uh, you've destroyed your nose, that's <laughs> when you go option. for the other uh, the other routes. Speaking about ex addicts, when I put this on Facebook, saying looking for information on cocaine, I got a message from an old high school friend mm-hmm. who wishes to remain anonymous. I've been reasonably so. I would say that's a reasonable request. But, request denied. Uh, Name. <laughs> request denied. <laughs> Uh, and I'll read to you what he the high points from what he told me about his experience. Or she. No, was he? Oh. Right. It has been over 16 years since I was addicted. It's the one time in my life where I felt I was at the absolute lowest point, and yet the need for more overwhelmed me. The people who were closest to me believed that I was done for and had just a matter of months before I was dead or in jail. I eventually had to physically remove myself from everything and everyone I associated with it. You have to realize that I, my first joint when I was 12, my uncle was the biggest drug dealer in Chilliwack in the 70s and 80s, and I grew up with his kids. His son was the first person to offer me pot and a couple of years later cocaine. I was a follower and really wanted to fit in somewhere in junior high school, and this was an easy acceptance for me. I thought smoking pot would open a few doors. I didn't get addicted to cocaine the first, second, or third time trying it. I would snort it. It's an odd feeling, something like drinking about 50 cups of espresso all at once and getting an energy boost. It wasn't until my mid-twenties when a friend decided to take our half gram of cocaine three of us went in on and refine it to its purest form, rock cocaine. Oh, nice. One try of crack cocaine, and I was done. It was like being dipped in sex. It was instantly something I knew that was at the same time very dangerous to continue with, but something that I needed to try again to see if I could get that same high. So he he actually done powder cocaine several times and didn't feel like he was addicted at all. And right. then mm-hmm. that first hit of crack, yeah. and he almost instantaneously knew that he was hooked for good. Dipped in sex? Pretty sweet, huh? Sounds good. What could go wrong? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? 
So he goes into how he met a girl and that this was the kind of the catalyst that took him off of it. I won't go into all the details of that, but uh, he quit after being heavily addicted for two years. It took over a year before I was able to not think about cocaine. That year, I moved to Vancouver and slept for 12 to 14 hours a day to avoid being left to my own devices. I also smoked a lot of pot to take the edge off the withdrawal symptoms. It helped, but let me tell you, going through withdrawal was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through in my life. Well, it does sound like difficult. Yeah. It does not sound like something that people want to go through. <laughs> Dr. Rob, you have any comments on withdrawal? Easy or not easy? This oh, guy I'm- wuss? This guy he sounds like maybe he's a wuss. Not easy at all. When uh, when I was working on the addiction medicine service, uh, we would routinely, if somebody was coming in with um, cocaine and we knew they were going to be withdrawing from that, we'd offer them uh, medication which they could request on demand up to every 15 minutes to try and cut the um, the edge and the tension off of the cravings. Okay. Wow. They, were, they were also the folks that we were allowed to order on the budget of our service um, free TVs because – Folks who use stimulants want stimulation. And if they're just sure. lying there in a hospital bed, they're mm. going to get up and walk out of the hospital. And if we talk about that, say, infected heart valve, which we might be treating with antibiotics, yeah, you don't want them with a partially treated heart valve infection heading back out onto the streets. Right. Right? We would typically make a, a habit of seeing them every day. Lots of medication, lots of education with the nursing and the medical staff about, you know, these folks, they're going to be really owly. Right. Don't take it personally. Agitated. Give them the brain candy as ordered Yeah, because the main goal here is to treat the medical condition that's brought them to the hospital. Right. Yeah. Then once they start coming through, trying to engage them with the, the possibility of, say, getting into longer-term rehab services. Initially, it's actually not bad. The very first part of the, the, the recovery from cocaine, your body starts making up for all the things you've been missing. So people who come in, say, on a really bad crack run. Um, might have been awake, say, 21 straight nights. So the, one of the first questions I always ask if I want to assess the degree of addiction would be, okay, how many nights were you awake in your longest crack run? That's the most common form. See, this is funny because so. I always kind of associated like long stretches of staying awake with crystal meth. That and, too, yeah. Because yeah. that high lasts for hours. Yeah, yeah. But folks who are chasing uh, stimulants will go with whatever's available. You know, if it's crystal meth, they'll take crystal meth. If it's cocaine they'll take cocaine you know they'll use dexedrine in a pinch if they have to um but they'll typically have their preferred form of up it all sort of leads to the same thing which could be days and days and days and days and days and days and days of just just running 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 and you lose your appetite so you don't eat so you lose a ton of weight so they come into the hospital and i would always order double uh portions on the meal trays because they eat like horses right sleep (laughs) and eat sleep and eat so the first phase is kind of like what i call baby therapy Mm And then, <laughs> yeah, because eat till I, you're sleepy, sleep till you're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, seeing something on this documentary about how they were testing on monkeys, and monkeys, given the option between more cocaine and food, would always take the cocaine, and some of them would literally starve to death. Wow, I've okay, I haven't heard that research. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a pretty profound. It's got a pretty profound impact on mammalian central nervous systems. Would it surprise you to hear that cocaine is a serotonin norepinephrine dopamine reuptake inhibitor? No, which, which mediates functionality <laughs> of these neurotransmitters as an exogenous catecholamine transporter ligand. Yeah, doctor who's dealt with people who've been addicted to things for many, many years. Would you be surprised by that? <laughs> well, I want to know what the hell that means. Right. It's a bit too fancy. Primarily, cocaine works on dopamine. And 
it works in a, in a few ways. There, there are different ways that stimulant drugs work, but they all tend to work around dopamine. Dopamine is the chemical that gives us the pleasure, the feeling of pleasure? That is right. That's the neurotransmitter most consistently implicated in the acute feeling of pleasure, like, say, with excitement or something like that, or that, um, that in, say, for anyone who's ever, say, smoked a cigarette, that wee, you know, when you take the first puff off a cigarette or something okay. like that, that's dopamine. Whereas longer-term pleasure, good mood is more linked with, um, with, with serotonin. Right. And so what cocaine does is you've got um, these little pockets inside of your neurons called vesicles. And that's vesicles. vesicles. And vesicles are what store the, the, the neurotransmitters. Is that what you hang uh, uh, for Christmas, those, those like lights that you hang outside your house? The vesicles? Yeah. The vesicles, yeah. There's a, there's a few different mechanisms of action. First, they, the, the vesicles... Bam! Dump all the dopamine into the synaptic cleft, which is the basically the the gate from one neuron to the next. Mm-hmm. Okay. They will also prevent the reuptake of dopamine because normally neurotransmission is a highly controlled phenomenon. You squirt out a little bit of neurotransmitter and then you quickly hoover it all back up presynaptically Ooh. to control the rate of communication. So we're not happy all the time. So we're neuronally not happy all the time, right? <laughs> and this sort of does it all at once, and it's a great big dopamine kablamo. Um, is that a technical term? Yeah. Dopamine kablamo? Dopamine kablamo. And that is what leads to the intense euphoric state, which lasts depending on how you, you take the cocaine, because the, the, the more you get and the faster you get it, the signaling to the neurons is either that much quicker or that much more intense. Right. Okay. So uh, uh, I've read somewhere that it, the addiction is largely caused by the way it affects the mesolimbic reward pathway. Right. Which is the primary dopamine reward pathway in the brain, which is actually the reward pathway that all drugs use, whether they're uppers or downers or cigarettes or alcohol or you name it. They kind of tweak the, the mesolimbic pathway. There's a certain collection of uh, neurons in your brainstem called the substantia nigra, which is known as the black body because they, they, they make dopamine and dopamine in concentration is black. And those axons, which transport dopamine throughout the central nervous system, uh, transport to a few places in the brain, the mesolimbic, uh, the ventral tegmental uh, pathway as well, and then some other pathways involved with uh, motor coordination and uh, reason. Um, I hope you're writing this down, Joe, because it's going to be a test at the end. <laughs> No need to get into too much of the, the, the details there. But yeah, the, the stimulants do it the fastest and the most briskly and, of course, lead to the most intense crash. So uh, it's not uncommon for me to, in an emergency department, get asked to see someone who's come in after a cocaine run and is now acutely suicidal. Because oh. it crashed all, so hard. All the happy is gone. Right. Right. All and from a chemical point of gone. view. Yeah. Yeah. Should we do How to Spot a Cocaine Addict? Oh, yeah, let's do Before it. Before we do the history. Yeah, this is a public service announcement. Sounds like a 50s video. <laughs> All right, so Kevin. Uh-huh. Are you prone to getting nosebleeds? Uh, not right now. Only when I use cocaine. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> this this is... test really works. <laughs> <laughs> this is How to Spot Someone with a Cocaine Addiction. Uh-huh. It occurs because the cocaine destroys the membranes inside the nose, causing the nose to bleed. Stuffy and runny noses are also common nasal symptoms. Joe, do you have a tendency to crash? No. 
car you guys or are not, emotionally? You guys are not doing so well on the cocaine test. Uh, Grr, we're going to fail our addiction test. After long cocaine binges, users are known to become listless and low on energy. Many people will sleep excessively for days after using large amounts of cocaine. Wait a minute. This does kind of sound like Joe. Actually, I rarely sleep more than eight hours a night these days. Oh, nice. Do you have sudden financial problems? Yeah. <laughs> They're more yeah. chronic than sudden. Yeah. Uh, yeah, chronic. You're right. You're right. Cocaine is an expensive drug, and many people will burn through all their money, including their life savings, to pay for their habit. Watch for people who want to borrow money or offer to sell their possessions at a greatly discounted rate. Mm-hmm. And note to future drug dealers out there, right? If you're going to sell one drug, sell the one with the highest retail markup. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah, I guess is, that, so. is that cocaine? I believe it is cocaine. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, my friend uh, who uh, was telling me about his experience mentioned that uh, one of the guys he used to hang around with sold his vehicle for way below the actual value because it was a cash deal, uh, turned around and spent $1,800 over a weekend. Good times. And nobody in that circle like even batted an eye. Yeah. yeah. Well, Joe, do you suffer at work and lose interest in friends and family? Nope. More the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Lose interest in work. I lose interest in work. (laughs) Suffers from work. Yeah. Uh, Cocaine overtakes the life of an addict. As such, all the things that used to be important to the individual now take a backseat to the drug. People addicted to cocaine will lose their standing at work, hurt the people closest to them, and let hobbies and activities fall by the wayside in favor of the drug. Well, unless you count the drug use as one of the hobbies or activities. Yeah. Yeah. That one doesn't ever fall by the wayside. Uh, Kevin, do you forego old friends and begin to run with a different c- crowd? Uh, I unfriended a couple of people on Facebook last <laughs> week. Does that have a cocaine problem? <laughs> Addict! <laughs> Those addicted to cocaine will likely begin to hang out with their with other drug users. Simply put, these new friends act as codependents, <laughs> never asking too many questions or looking down upon the individual because of their addiction. Any paranoia or panic attacks? Uh, not so far. Mm, co- no. I have the opposite problem. <laughs> yeah. I was a bit nervous in a foggy alley last night. <laughs> oh. That sounds reasonable. Yeah, that doesn't sound paranoid. None of you are curious why I was in a foggy alley last night? Okay, carry on. <laughs> did it have to do with cocaine? Not on the cocaine test. <laughs> yeah. Did, did it have to do with cocaine? No, just, just codependently don't ask too many questions. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> cocaine alters the brain and can cause a variety of psychological symptoms, including thoughts that everyone is out to get me or the walls are closing in around me. Chest pains, heavy sweating may also accompany these symptoms. God, what I, a good time. This I is worry so... that people aren't out to get me. Uh-huh. <laughs> it can get a little worse than what chest is... pains, actually. Yeah. Uh, cocaine can cause heart attacks because one of its effects is to clamp down on blood vessels. And you right. happen to have a lot of those in your heart. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so anytime uh, a young man or a young woman comes into the emergency department complaining of, of chest pain and there are some EKG changes, you ask them seven or eight or nine times. Come on, between you and me and the fence post, what's, right. this, what's this cocaine? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. No, no, come on. Was this cocaine? No. Was this cocaine? Uh, I only had a little. It was Bob's. Do you have a tendency to talk very fast? Oh, well, you, if Hollywood has taught me anything, <laughs> you definitely get the old, uh, uh, you know, accelerated speech. Everything yeah. is accelerated on cocaine. Your heart, like, beats right out of your chest. You're... You know, the way you speak. Manic just, energy. Yeah. The yeah. way you talk, the way you move, everything's all twitchy and weird. Experience moments of grandiose thinking. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. Well. You know, if you add it all up, if you actually combine <laughs> us into one person, we are so addicted to cocaine yeah. right now. There you go. All right, but history. the rest of us are healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so, uh, obviously, for thousands of years, the coca leaf was uh, chewed by natives in South America, where it grew yep. naturally in, you know, in and around their communities. And it, uh, you know, had a, a positive effect on their on their mood and their energy levels. Uh, in fact, the remains of coca leaves have been found in ancient Peruvian mummies. Uh, pottery from the time period depicts humans with bulged cheeks indicating the presence of something on which they're chewing. And there is also evidence, and this is a callback to our psychotherapy episode, that some of the cultures used a mixture of coca leaves and saliva as an anesthetic when they were performing trepanation. Oh. That, the bulging cheeks could mean that they are trumpet players like Dizzy Gillespie. That is true. <laughs> That's uh, one of Sigmund Freud's strange contributions to modern surgery. What's one of that? his lifelong friends was an ear, nose, throat surgeon named Dr. Fleiss. An otorhinolaryngologist? An otorhinolaryngologist. And Sigmund Freud became so enamored of cocaine through his own habit. And being, of course, sci- very, sci- very just, just very scientifically curious, he noticed that it actually had potent anesthetic properties. Right. Yeah. And so he said to his friend and colleague, Dr. Fleiss, this might be useful to you in your practice. It is such a potent topical anesthetic. That led to Fleiss experimenting with cocaine in on water. Himself. Not on himself, uh-huh. but on patients' eyes, because it was simply impossible to do eye surgery. And this opened up the modern field of ophthalmology. Oh, right. From surgical uh, topical because, anesthesia. So Because you, cocaine and water would numb the eyes? That's that, right. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, ophthalmologists, thanks, Sigmund Freud. Otherwise, people would just keep blinking? Because something was some, because the doctor was stabbing them in the eye. Yeah, no. or you'd have to use like uh, uh, general anesthesia to try, uh-huh. and that would sort of uh, you know that's somewhat problematic. So when you get that kind of uh, skin or eyeball contact that that numbs it, and you, you yeah. see people in the movies where they'll wipe it up with their finger and rub it on their mm-hmm. on their their gums, gums. Yeah. and then it gets numb, so they yeah. know it's actually cocaine. Mm-hmm. Does that get into your bloodstream enough to make you high? No, no. Okay. So it can actually be used safely to oh, num- as a topical. Yeah, energy. yeah. And so, in fact, the the things you've heard of xylocaine, lidocaine, marcaine, mm-hmm. those are all canes derived from cocaine, which are used as modern anesthetics. And the Peruvians in the high altitudes, as we discussed some some other episodes, they will shove the coca leaves in their in, gums in, in their gums to help with altitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to give them, and that just kind of gives a euphoric feeling. Absolutely. So when the Spanish arrived in South America, most of them at first ignored Aboriginal claims that the coca leaf gave them strength and energy and declared the practice of chewing it the work of the devil. Sure, of course. Natch. Until they actually discovered that it actually did what the natives claimed it did. And then it suddenly wasn't the devil's work anymore? No. In fact, they legalized it and taxed it, taking 10% of the value of each crop. Ooh, devil tax. Oh, the work of God. <laughs> That's redemption. God bless you, Spaniards. In fact, in 1609, a uh, Spaniard named Padre Blas Valera wrote, Coca protects the body from many ailments, and our doctors use it in powdered form to reduce the swelling of wounds, to strengthen broken bones, to expel cold from the body or prevent it from entering, and to cure rotten wounds or sores that are full of maggots. And if it does so much for outward ailments, 
Will not its singular virtue have even greater effect in the entrails of those who eat it? I know how it works on the maggots. It's the same thing with the monkeys, the chimps. It's like, do you want to eat this dead flesh or do you want to eat the cocaine? And they're all like, let's get the cocaine. Oh, there's more cocaine. And they just leave you alone and, and they, get they high. wither and die. Yeah. yeah, but as we discussed in the flies and maggots, it's not bad to have a sore that's full of maggots. No, this is their, like, you know, an actual You don't error. want to get rid of them. Yeah, no, but they did back in the day. Skinny, twitchy maggots. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1855, a German chemist named Friedrich Geidke, however you pronounce it, uh, was the first to isolate the cocaine alkaloid. So it's a relatively recent drug, the powder cocaine that we know today. The addictive the, variety, the processed variety. The processed Indeed. variety. Yeah. Uh, in 1859, an Italian doctor named Paolo Montagazzo wrote a paper about its medicinal uses claiming that it was a good treatment for a furred tongue in the morning, flatulence, and whitening of the teeth. Did you say a fur tongue? Yes, a furred tongue. Oh, a furred tongue. I don't so, even know what that means. So, I think that's when you've been drinking so all he, night. So his cure for hangovers was cocaine? Yes, his hangover cure was cocaine. <laughs> Mother <laughs> of God. <laughs> what was his cure for cocaine addiction? <laughs> well, funnily enough, Freud's cure for morphine addiction was cocaine. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> The, the cure for the cocaine addiction is heroin. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, Ultimately, his cure was 50 cigars a day. Is that what Freud was up to? Yeah. That yeah. makes sense now with all the photos of him every single Always one. with a cigar. And that's why, you know, when, when the, 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 the ultimate irony, the, the beautiful irony of the psychoanalytic tradition was when Freud said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. That was precisely when it was not just a cigar. <laughs> In 1885, a U.S. manufacturer, Park Davis, sold cocaine in various forms, including cigarettes, powder, and even a cocaine mixture that could be injected directly into the vein, which included a needle. How convenient. How handy. Uh, the company promised that its cocaine products would supply the place of food, make the coward brave, make the silent <laughs> eloquent, and render the sufferer insensitive to pain. All true for about 25 minutes. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you need. I love the make the coward brave. <laughs> that was my favorite of them all by far. Probably going after the army market. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Put your men on coke. And Soldier coke. They will rush into battle if you tell them the enemy has more coke. <laughs> In the original 1886 recipe for Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. a pinch of coca leaf was the actual what was actually written down in the formula for Coca-Cola. Yeah, sure. Uh, and they figured that it originally contained an estimated nine milligrams of cocaine per serving. I don't know what really? that means. Well, it's there. The inspiration for Coca-Cola was actually a coca wine called Vin Mariani. Right. Yeah. I've heard about that. That was invented in Europe, uh, like quite a bit before Coca-Cola was ever conceived. And John Stythe Pemberton, who, was the originator of Coca-Cola. His actual original idea was to do a U.S. competitor to Vin Mariani, which oh, okay. had kind of taken Europe by storm. Right. But he was in Atlanta, Georgia, which had just passed the year before a prohibition legislation. Right. So he was unable to develop an alcoholic drink. So he came up with a non-alcoholic alternative. Right. Because of prohibition, they turned the, the cocaine wine into the cocaine soda. That's right. And so Coca-Cola, without prohibition, would not exist. In fact, it would have been an alcoholic substance and would have been available only to people so, drinking of age. Really, the hangover cure was just 
better than getting drunk. <laughs> yeah. Let's just cut out the middleman entirely. Jules Verne is said to have written his work around the world in 80 days while under the influence of Vin Mariani's coca wine. Well, yeah. I, and he was probably up for all 80 of those yeah. days. Auguste Bartholdi, the architect of the Statue of Liberty, remarked that if he had discovered Vin Mariani 20 years earlier, he would have designed the statue several hundred meters taller. <laughs> <laughs> those are those grandiose thoughts we were talking yeah, exactly. about, I guess. And a brand of coca wine was made by the Maltine Manufacturing Company in New York. The dosage indicated on the back of the bottle, a wine glass full with or immediately after meals, children in proportion. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, I read also that uh, Thomas Edison was a big fan of Vin Mariani. Oh. He would, uh, whenever he wanted to stay up all night and work, he would uh, pull sure. out a bottle of it. Yeah. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant was quite famously known to be writing his memoirs while he was drinking it. So near the end of his life, he thought didn't know if he had enough time to finish it. So he decided to uh, stay up quite a while. Sure. And I will put this up on the website, causticsodapodcast.com. But I've got a promotional flyer with the picture of Pope Leo the oh, Thirteenth yeah. on it. As Leo. the Pope Leo the Thirteenth actually endorsed cocaine laced wine. Sure. Blessed by the Pope. How could you go wrong? <laughs> it no. was said to also be drunk by Queen Victoria. Hmm. So it really was like it taken Europe by storm. Yeah, we shall also, have the Mariani. <laughs> it also appeared in uh, medicinal products such as toothache drops. Yeah, we'll put. Uh, I've got toothache. Drops. I've got an image of this as well that we'll put up on the website causticsodapodcast.com if you want to check all these out. And certain brands of cough drops also contain. Well, it certainly would soothe your throat, wouldn't it, Doctor yeah. Rob? That would kind of like have absolutely, a, a, an yeah. Anesthetic. yeah, 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 pretty uh, awesome numbing effect. We have the modern call system of doctors on call meaning we have cocaine to thank for that the reason that there are doctors up all night in hospitals not because they're all using cocaine but the system of doctors should be up all night to harden them was invented by a cocaine addict surgeon named <laughs> william halstead weird at johns hopkins in the early uh, 20th century oh nice. Wow. yeah and he thought that uh, the physician to, to, to separate himself from the, the, the common misfortune of men should, should harden himself. How's that working through out? Through long hours, right? Right. Well, jackass is doing cocaine in the bathroom. Right? <laughs> That's well, how he did it. <laughs> in, in early 20th century, the medical establishment, I think, were maybe a little bit behind the curve on cocaine because I got a couple of choice quotes here. <laughs> sure. In 1903, the American Journal of Pharmacy stressed that most cocaine abusers were bohemians, gamblers, High and low class prostitutes, night porters, bellboys, burglars, racketeers, pimps, and casual laborers. Sad that the casual laborers get lumped in there. I mean, those poor bastards are just trying to like, you know. the high end prostitutes. (laughs) It's not so bad. And the low end prostitutes. In 1914, Dr. Christopher Koch of Pennsylvania State Pharmacy Board made the racial innuendo explicit, testifying that. Most of the attacks upon the white women of the South are the direct result of a cocaine-crazed Negro brain. Ah, oh. 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 Uh, that's forward thinking, 1914. Cocaine-crazed William Halstead brain. <laughs> yeah. It, they, they all seem, they, these guys seem to maybe be cut from the same cloth. In 1909, Ernest Shackleton took forced march brand cocaine tablets to antarctica with him oh might have helped save some lives actually forced march <laughs> yeah okay forced march that was the name of the brand <laughs> right. Tr- okay. Truth in advertising. Forced march. 
In the mid-1940s, in the middle of World War II, cocaine was considered for inclusion as an ingredient of a future generation of pep pills for German military. Okay. The experimental drug was called D, and it says dash 1X, so I don't know if that's D9 or if it's DIX. Well, in, uh, in 1906, the U.S. government banned the inclusion of cocaine in popular drinks and all the rest of that stuff. But it didn't become a controlled substance in the United States until 1970, when it was finally listed in the Controlled Substances Act. So I think that's cocaine. That's a historical, that's a little brief, historical snapshot of cocaine for a you. A brief history of cocaine. Uh, I've got a, uh, something called black cocaine. or That's racist. Coca negra. That's more racist. <laughs> no, this is actually the practice of trying to disguise cocaine for smuggling purposes. By dyeing it? Yeah, by doing a number of different things for a number of different reasons. So what, what they will sometimes do to camouflage its appearance, they'll put in pigments and dyes, sometimes even go extreme as to mix it in with charcoal. Okay. Right? And then when it gets to where it's supposed to be, then they use uh, some other chemical method to extract it. Another type of black cocaine is uh, used to interfere with color-based drug tests, mixing in iron salts and cobalt salts that form deep red complexes in solution so it doesn't, again, look like cocaine. And I guess they have some sort of test where they can shine a light on it that will show whether it's cocaine or not and fool that method, Uh, as well as make the mixture undetectable to drug-sniffing dogs by mixing it with activated carbon, which absorbs trace odors. So these are all forms of black cocaine. But my favorite, mm. my favorite of them all, in 2008, drug smugglers were found. Please say boot polish. Please say boot polish. <laughs> a new type of black cocaine in 2008 was discovered by Spanish police, where drug drug smugglers had been manufacturing it into rubber-like sheets and forming it into luggage. So oh, the luggage, the luggage is the, the cocaine. luggage was the cocaine. Wow. Nice. How do you get it out from there? So I gotta it wonder. I gotta the dog sniffs. Out. The dog sniffs. You go. Yeah, sure. Check out the bag. Go yeah. ahead. Go Search ahead. Search the bag. No, and the sort actual of like the cocaine on the four out of five bills thing. Oh yeah, I guess we could talk about that. I mean, I've heard it said dozens of times that four out of five U.S. currency bills mm-hmm. will test positive for cocaine. Right. And we actually, before we started recording, we checked out on Snopes.com to see if that was an urban myth or if it was real. It's and true. the results. It is true. The amounts are not the amounts that you should get in trouble for at all or could get high off of. In 1995, a court case charted results from as small as a nanogram, which is a billionth of a gram, to as much as a milligram, which is a thousandth of a gram. I thought a nanogram was when your old nanny came to deliver (laughs) some flowers. Dear Torin, stop. I hope you are well. Stop. (laughs) Included in this gram is $10. Stop. (laughs) And some cocaine. Or she'd show up on cocaine at like three in the morning and then... Uh, Not again, Granny. (laughs) The Argonne National Laboratory study revealed that the average contamination was 16 micrograms, which is 16 one millionths of a gram per bill. That sounds like not very much. Yeah, one gram is the head of a thumbtack. So 16 one millionths of that, it's... Not a lot. There's probably about that much in this building, just floating in the air. So yeah, so I guess... Not that the people in this building have been doing cocaine. It's just, you know, you're going to have all sorts of things spread out everywhere. We have money in our pockets right now. Exactly. Good test positive right now. Every single one of us. I don't have an American, any American bills. But I guess the, I guess the, uh, the theory is, is that uh, not four out of five bills haven't been used to snort cocaine. Right. 
it's one bill will be used and you'll stick it in. Then the drug user will stick it in his wallet and it will contaminate all the other bills. And then you'll spend the money and the contaminated bill will go in a cash register and contaminate all those bills. Yeah, they said one bill used to snort cocaine put into a cash register will contaminate every bill that's in there. I'm not gonna quit the pretty mama while the weather's cool. Around your back door, says honey, I'm gonna creep. As long you make those to the half of you. Now I got a girl, she works in the white boat yard. She brings me meal, I can swear to praise the law. She brings me me, she brings me love, she brings me the same, I swear she can see. Now upon a bill second came to town, she had her effort looking good and brown, she didn't know against the law, but the monster stopped at a fine drum store, just around the corner, just a minute too late. Another one said that to speak back I'm fifth to while I bought my good pocket. I call my corner. Dick, come on, Nipsy, with a nose all sore. The doctors won't go and sell no more. Say, Ron, stop. Ring the bell. The women in the alley. I'm fifth to while I bought my good pocket. Now they're funny to man, came to my house, well, well, that Sunday morning. Yes, it was my wife at home, and I told Jan long gone. She backed his wagon up to my door, took everything I had. He carried it back to the punch up store, and I swear I did feel sad. What in the world has anyone got dealing with punch to man? It's got no dough, Santa for Joe. Son, it will back you back. He will take everything from an earthly plant, from a skillet to a frying pan. If it ever was a devil born down in a hall, it must have been a punisher man. I call my cold a head. He come on, sniffing with a nose all sore. Doctors won't go, sell all more things. Coke for horses, not women, the men. Doctors say to kill you, but it's just say I'm sniffed a while, I'm putting my good. Okay. Now the baby's in the cradle in New Orleans. He kept a whip and said it got so mean. He kept a whip and had six and so. The jokes were louder. Some of most men run and stop. Ring the bell. The women in the alley. I'm filled a while upon my football game. I call my call a Dick, come on, snippin' with a nose on sore. The doctor's won't go and sell all more things wrong. Doctor, ring the bell, the women in the alley. I'm simply wild, I brought my good talking. In the news. Come on, Rob. That's a befuddled newsroom right there. It's nice to know that doctors aren't perfect at everything. <laughs> <laughs> I went from February 3rd, 2012. So very recent news. Uh, 
the DEA uncovered a mob-linked drug smuggling ring that used Dorman. So they would mail cocaine packages, packages full of cocaine, to Dorman at swanky hotels and, and apartment buildings. But they would mail them, they'd put a fake name on them so they'd know to like hold it aside and then the dealers would come by and pick them up because they would they convince these Dorman that they would be blameless because even though they received the package... They in no way, shape, or form would anybody ever hold them accountable for some phony package that got delivered to them. Because, you know, getting a fake package is nothing like mail fraud. <laughs> yeah. But they would just claim, listen, I don't know anything about it. I, I, I sign for packages all day, every day. Right. Yeah. You know, it's uh, no big deal. But I guess what the tripping point was is that they would mail them to fake names at those addresses. Right. So then the, the claim was the doorman should have known that this wasn't, this package wasn't supposed to be delivered here because it didn't have a name of any of the residents. And the doorman said, it's not my job to know all the names of all the residents. Yeah, well, I get Oh, wait. Yes, it is. <laughs> they busted uh, several doormen my who were doorman powers are tingling. <laughs> reference to the tick there. This guy whose name I don't know sure tips well when he picks up this package. Uh, I have a new story from February 2nd, 2012. Vancouver. Oh. I know where that is. BC billionaire pleads guilty to confining prostitute. What? What? In de- yeah. <laughs> in December 2008, uh, police were called to a mansion owned by David Ho, a former member of the Vancouver Police Board, ironically enough. Oh, no. Ho, 60, had picked up a 20-year-old woman in Delta, and the two returned to his home in an upscale neighborhood to have sex and smoke cocaine. Okay. Uh, they when- did not. <laughs> when the woman tried to leave, Ho stopped her, and he testified in court that it was cold outside and he was worried about her health. They oh, baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> this is a bad movie. This isn't a news story. Why did this really happen? Inside. After a brief struggle, the woman broke her ankle. Oh, Jesus. Uh, wearing only her <laughs> underwear, the woman eventually escaped onto the street where she climbed an eight-foot fence and ran to a nearby house. Here's another ironic moment. Wasn't it a little cold outside to be climbing over fences with no shoes on and yeah. a broken ankle? In her underwear. I mean, she's a pretty resilient girl to run away on her, on her uh, broken ankle. Well, I, I th- think that young woman's in trouble. I, I think Vancouver prostitutes are ready to run these days. Yeah, no kidding. We have sort of a rep. Uh, but the, again, another ironic twist is that uh, the billionaire's own security cameras at his residence captured the entire event oh, on camera. Oh. So it became a pretty crucial evidence for the prosecution this in this trial. to our bad cop, bad cop episode. <laughs> uh, in addition Please, to amazingly. pleading guilty to confinement and weapons charges, he also pleaded guilty to breaching previous bail conditions as he'd earlier been caught carrying a switchblade knife at the Vancouver International Airport in February of 2011. And what was his position in the Vancouver Police? Uh, he was a member of the Vancouver Police Board. He was on the board. Yeah. Okay. Which is all citizens who would like, you know. Uh, um, oversight. Oversee. Yeah, they're they're kind of civilian oversight on the police. Okay. You cops be good. Uh, yeah. He We're claimed- watching you. So the guy on the board, uh-huh. let, let, me, let me do a little list here. So uses prostitutes, and while we're pretty lax, it's still technically illegal here. Mm-hmm. Carries around uh, unregistered firearms. And switchblades. And switchblades at the airport. That he, well, he did forget that he had it on him. He, he can... <laughs> He can. He, I solve that problem of forgetting by just not having one. He confines the prostitute aggressively enough that he breaks her ankle, and then she flees into the cold night. Mm-hmm. And he's on the Vancouver Police Board. 
Or was. He was at one point. I'm sure he's no longer on the board. That I would just be a make a, a list of things to bring to the airport. <laughs> and then I make a – maybe at the bottom I'll have a checklist of things to not bring to the <laughs> That's airport. Right. Switch so blade. cell phone would be kind of at the top of the list. Yeah. And then uh, – Propane cylinders. Yeah. WMDs. White, fireworks. Any, any kind of white powder in an yeah. envelope. This guy's story is not done yet. Oh. Oh. In 2009, he interviewed with the Vancouver province, saying that he loved helping out errant young women in the city's downtown east side. Vancouver province is a newspaper. Mm -hmm. He was once pulled over by police with prostitutes in his car and what appeared to be cocaine, but he said his only vice was offering kindness to women in need. And I quote, I am addicted to helping them, he said. Wow. <laughs> helping wow. Them. I'm addicted to helping them smoke cocaine in my apartment. And have sex with me. They have drug money. addictions, and I'm, oh, I'm doing them a good service by providing them with the drugs that they want and need. Now, of course, he has been caught on camera with all of this. He has previous breaches. Her ankle is broken. She ran away screaming. Smoking cocaine, surely this man has gotten what's coming to him. Justice has been served? Justice, tell me that justice has been served. Well, he pled guilty, so he has right? been sentenced, uh, I think it was a fine in a short term. It was actually probation. Oh. There was a fine. There is a fine, but probation. $5,000. September 2009 in Newark, New Jersey, uh, a dad tells his four-year-old that cocaine is candy. New Jersey police say a four-year-old boy shared cocaine with his friends at his daycare because his father told him it was candy. The 25-year-old Shahid Wright of East Orange put several baggies of cocaine inside his son's jacket after police nearly caught him with it. The boy shared the drugs with three other four-year-olds at his daycare, <laughs> and it was discovered when a teacher spotted a girl with a baggie in her mouth and called the authorities. Well, maybe he was confused because one of the street names is Jelly Beans. <laughs> or also... Sugar boogers. <laughs> well, it sounds like in the course of this story that this guy was very close to being apprehended with them in his possession and yeah. used his child as a temporary stash point. Mm. So might not have had time for like a prolonged discussion yeah. about the merits and demerits of uh, of of the candy that he was leaving. Oh well, in then, his jacket I for, pocket. then I forgive the drug addict for. I certainly his don't son blame the cocaine. son. For trying to, he's actually, no. his dad gave him candy and he tried to share it with his daycare <laughs> classmates. True. He's a good kid. Like, that's a that's a generous fella. Especially with the cost of that candy. <laughs> the irony, of course, is that cocaine, being a base, would taste bitter. And so all the other kids would be really mad at him for this pulling that kind of prank. Either, yeah. <laughs> this candy sucks. <laughs> uh, pop culture. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't usually talk about music, but there is so many songs Master about cocaine. Yeah, like there's... From Metallica. <laughs> there's so many Chop songs. Chop Your Breakfast on a Mirror is one of the lines. <laughs> there's there's nice. some other song that really fits, and I just can't think of what its <laughs> name is. Uh, well, we kind of alluded to it early on in the podcast. Like uh, we sang it. Yeah, and the Eric Clapton classic. Although Eric Clapton didn't do it originally. It was originally a J.J. Kale song, oh, I'm told. I didn't know that. I did not know that either until I researched the podcast. I, there's a song named Bales of Cocaine by the Reverend Horton Heat. There's Lit Up by the punk band Buckcherry. There's Life in the Fast Lane by the Eagles. It seems that uh, cocaine may be a popular drug with musicians. <laughs> Might be. The Moonlight Mile by the Rolling Stones. Cocaine Blues made famous by Bob Dylan. Are we going alphabetically or? No. 
uh, Cocaine Blues, also a different song, same name, by Johnny Cash, in which he opens up the song by saying, I took a shot of cocaine and then gunned my woman down. Mm. Then there's Snowblind by Black Sabbath. There are hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of movies that have cocaine use in it. But I thought we'd focus maybe on movies that are kind of just about cocaine. Right. Like feature Blow. It. Like Blow. Yeah. Like Blow, for instance. The entire movie is about drug Starring smuggling. Johnny Depp. Yeah. You know what? I really like that movie. I thought it was top notch. Uh, Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, who played his uh, drug selling compatriot, who ends up, you know, turning on him and getting him sent to jail. And just how Johnny Depp was the, you know, the worst <laughs> businessman. He's good at selling drugs, right? Not so good at the whole business side of it. Yeah, yeah. the 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 best scene is when they're making so much money, they don't know where to put all the money anymore. Like they're like stuffing it in like bread boxes and like you know putting it in their like drawers and their bedside tables and like they're trying to find something and they have to like dig under piles of money to like find a, you know a scale or something like that and that they're just they have so much money they know where else to put it. Whoa! Right? There's a hooker with a broken ankle under here. <laughs> Does it have a happy ending? Uh, no. They, they. I think the he gets captured by the DEA and gets thrown in jail, and you know, I mean, it, I don't think it turns out very well for Johnny Depp's character in the end. Yeah, Hollywood it, cocaine movies aren't allowed to have happy endings. No. <laughs> well, True Romance kind of did, but yeah. it, it wasn't meant to have one. Strangely enough, yeah. What do you mean by that? Uh, Quentin Tarantino wrote True Romance, and his initial idea was that it should be presented kind of out of order, like Pulp Fiction ended up being. Tony Scott was the director of that, and he decided to do it in order, and he changed the ending and changed apparently quite a bit about the way the movie was presented yeah. to give it that that happy ending. I have a, one of the um, uh, limited edition, like anniversary editions of True Romance, and on it, it's got one of the uh, voiceover tracks from is, is of Quentin Tarantino. Oh, wow. And when you watch the movie with Quentin Tarantino's voiceover track, he basically just sits there and tells tells everybody... That this is not how he would have made the movie. He'd yeah, been allowed right. to direct it. Yeah. Like, what oh. is the cocaine connection? Well, Christian Slater playing Clarence ends up taking Patricia Arquette's character Alabama, who's a prostitute, uh, away from her pimp and played by Gary Oldman. Played uh, excellently, but it's a great Gary Oldman yeah. part. He plays just a this, cameo, but it it's kind outstanding. of is. But it's fantastic the character he makes out of this. Anyway, Clarence uh, ends up taking him out and taking what he thinks are Alabama's clothes, but it turns out it's a huge briefcase full of cocaine. Okay, yeah. Uh, so and, then the whole rest of the movie is him trying to unload this cocaine. Right? Yeah, because he's he's got a terrible job working at a comic book store. That's right. Uh, That's she's, <laughs> she now has no job. Yeah. So And they love each other. Former prostitute. Romance. So they head off to L.A. To, to a friend of his to hopefully sell this and make a lot of money so they can live on it. Yeah. That's, that's the core of the story. And like most Tarantino movies, everything goes awry. Torn and I had a movie night leading up to this episode. We watched uh, one of my all-time favorite movies called Half Nelson. Why is it called Half Nelson? Uh, we actually debated that, and I couldn't quite figure it out. <laughs> but I'm thinking it's because he's only in a half Nelson, so he's got a chance of getting out. Whereas if you're in a full Nelson, you are completely you're locked in. Locked in. Mm. Yeah, so it still gives him a, mo- a chance at redemption. This stars Ryan Gosling, who you remember from the Goosebumps television series. Nope. A lot of our female listeners might remember him from The Notebook. Uh, he was also in Drive. Mm-hmm. I mostly know him from uh, feminist Ryan Gosling. Uh, also, Anthony Mackie, who you'll remember from 8 Mile and The Hurt Locker. Okay. As Frank, the mm-hmm. drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Uh, story concerns an inner city middle school teacher who forms a friendship with one of his students after she discovers that he has a drug habit. 
Yeah, I mean, he's a pretty profound cocaine and crack cocaine addict in this movie. Like, he pretty much... But he holds it together for most well, of the movie. He's what you would call a functioning drug addict. Is that a technical term, Dr. Rob? I don't know if it's a technical term, but it's certainly a common phenomenon. Yeah. And I think uh, in with cocaine, I think there are a lot of people in life in general who sort of go on with their daily lives, and but stay addicted Dr. Sigmund Freud and William Halstead. Yeah. 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 And in the course of this movie, it's that transition point from he's functioning and everything's okay. And he's like kind of maintaining to, it begins to spin out of control. Mm -hmm. So where he goes to the drug dealer to tell him to stop, um, associating with this student, this 12 year old girl. girl, Yeah. And then ends up buying cocaine off of him instead. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That was a pretty powerful scene where he comes in and he's yelling at this drug deal in the middle of the street. He's like, can you not understand what I'm trying to say here? Just leave her alone. Like She's got a chance, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you want some cane? He's like, uh, I guess. <laughs> right. One movie that we could talk about that has uh, some pretty, uh, it, it leans heavily on cocaine as something that moves the plot forward, uh, Scarface. It's an adaptation. I mean, Pacino plays a Cuban gangster in Miami. So, of course, in the late 70s and early 80s. So, cocaine features heavily yeah. in the course of everything that happens. Well, there's the scene with just the mound yeah, on the table. The finale, the end of the movie. Yeah. Where there's a literal mountain of cocaine. And the, all these hitmen are coming to get him. And he just is... L- putting his face in this giant mountain of cocaine oh, right. and sniffing as much of it as he can. And then, is you know, this shooting the one where he says, say hello to my little friend. That that's, is exactly that's okay. what happens. I've seen this movie. That's what yeah. happens right after the mountain of cocaine. I have yeah. seen this movie. Here's a question I have for you. When they show people in the movies snorting cocaine, what are they actually snorting? Oh, that's a good question. I'll bet you the oh. internet knows. That. I, yeah, I do not know the answer to that question. It's cocaine, and they finish the scene in 14.6 minutes or less. <laughs> <laughs> Powdered milk sugar is what they typically use. Powdered oh. milk? I've never coffee even heard mate? of such a thing. Lactose. They're, they're snorting coffee, mate? You better hope those actors are not lactose intolerant, then. <laughs> So, Torin, Mighty Mouse was accused once of something cocaine-related? Mighty Mouse was accused of snorting cocaine. What? <sighs> yeah, you know, the new adventures of Mighty Mouse from the 80s? 1997, during the production of the episode The Littlest Tramp, editor Tom Klein expressed concern that a sequence showing Mighty Mouse sniffing the remains of a crushed flower resembled cocaine use. Uh, Bakshi, okay. Ralph Bakshi. Uh-huh. Uh, believe- from, from heavy metal fame. And Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings. You the rotoscope Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who I guess was a producer, something like that, believed that Klein was overreacting but agreed to let him cut the scene. John Chris Faluzzi, who we'll know later oh, yeah. from Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. John Kay, yeah. Uh, who worked on Mighty Mouse, New Adventures of Mighty Mouse, uh, expressed disbelief over the cut, insisting the sequence should be restored. Following Chris Faluzzi's advice, Bakshi told Klein to restore the scene, which had been approved by network executives and the CBS Standards and Practices Department. Okay. So everything's looking okay. Okay. Uh, June 6, 1988, uh, the episode aired October 1987, head of the American Family Association alleged that the littlest tramp depicted cocaine use instigating a media frenzy. I don't remember this frenzy, but I'll assume that's correct. I I remember this being brought up. Concerning Bakshi's involvement with Mighty Mouse and New Adventures, the AFA claimed that CBS intentionally hired a known pornographer to do a cartoon for children and then allowed him to insert a scene in which the cartoon hero is shown sniffing cocaine. 
And then Mighty Mouse was seen checking into a Betty Ford Center. <laughs> this is kind of like the Popeye spinach kind of. Uh, yeah. Bakshi defended the episode saying, I despise drugs. I would be out of my mind to show a cartoon character snorting cocaine in a cartoon. Mighty Mouse was happy after smelling the flowers because it helped him remember the little girl who sold it to him fondly. But even if you're right, their accusations have become part of the air we breathe. And that's why I ended up cutting the scene. I can't have children wondering. If Mighty Mouse is using cocaine. The AFA claimed that the edits were a de facto admission that indeed Mighty Mouse was snorting cocaine. They demanded the removal of Bakshi, but CBS released a statement in support of him. And that's pretty much where it ended. Yeah, the uh, AFA can go blow. They're a bunch of crazy homophobic jerks. Pharmacophobic. Ooh. Ah! Pharmacophobic. Full circle. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while he was receiving maggot therapy. To comment on episodes, make a donation, see show notes, links, and videos, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Zuzuzu, 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 zuzuzu.